Welcome to today's podcast by Preacher, as he provides sound teaching on the pure and undiluted truth of God's Word, with life application that inspires you to live a holy life pleasing to God. We pray that these teachings will inspire you to live out your faith daily with confidence, be assured of your salvation in Christ, and God's unconditional love for you. And David asked the Gibbonites, what shall I do for you? David was king, and there was a famine in the land. It had been going on for three years. And he asked God what the real problem was, and the Lord told him it was the cause of the sin of Saul. Because Saul had sought to slaughter, to kill completely and totally, uh, this group of people that we know in our scripture as the Gibbonites. And so they had a cause against the people of Israel. Now, they were also part of the people of Israel. They had been taken in by a treaty and by an agreement to be part of God's people. And so David called them and said, Now what can we do in order that we might be able to redeem the situation? And the Gibbonites said, We are not looking for silver or gold, but the thing that we are looking for, we're looking for these sons of Saul. We want seven of them. Now Saul had more than seven sons. But we want seven sons of Saul. And we're going to put them to death. We want to hang them. And the king said, let it happen as you have decided to do. And so the thing was done. Seven of the sons of Saul were turned over to the Gibbonites and were taken out to the hill and there they were put to death. And then we have this strange turn in the story. Rizpah, the mother of some of these sons, she went out to where her sons were put to death and she pitched her tent and there she stayed for six months. And now the bodies of these who were slain by the Gibbonites were left hanging. And she stayed there day and night for six long months to keep a vigil over those who had been uh, taken from her. And so we see that this mother's grief and the plight of this mother was very difficult and very sad and very hard. And when the word was brought to King David what this mother was doing, he sent his men and had these bones gathered up along with their father and their other brother, Jonathan, and to be brought back and to be buried in a very respectful and a very dignified way. But get the scene in your mind. One of betrayal, broken promise, heartache, grief, tragedy, sorrow. And we see it. All brought about because people were trying to live together and were not able to live together properly the way that God intended for them to live. And when you see the truth of this scene, and you see the awfulness of it, you will see the participation on the part of all of them uh, that went to make this tragic situation. Now I would like to ask a question for us to see what I, I want us to take a look at this morning together. And ask the ones who were standing there on that hill where uh, these seven were put to death, the, the people who were in really involved in it, to ask one simple question there, what are you doing here? If we asked the Gibbonites that, they would say readily, well, we're mad, and we're madder than mad, we're madder than hornets, and we have been offended, and we have been insulted, and we have been hurt, and so it's nothing's going to satisfy us outside of the fact that we have seven of the sons of Saul to put to death. We want vengeance. 
Well, I looked at the situation and I said, yes, they do have cause to be mad. There's no question about that at all. Saul, it's interesting to note that he thought he was doing it out of love for Israel. Jealousy for the sons and, and daughters of Israel and Judah that he did this terrible thing against those that he had claimed to be a part of God's people. What things we get mad about? They had a cause. All the way from the sublime to the ridiculous. Not too many weeks ago, I had a young lady, a brunette, black eyes, coal black almost, just snapping like you wouldn't believe. She came into that office during the week, and she didn't stop at the door and say, How are you, preacher? And she wasn't intimidated by that desk or the rug or anything else in that office. And she walked right up to that desk, and I could just barely see her head over the desk. She was that short. And one of my little ones. And it seemed like some of the other little ones were here with their mother in the church, and they had been in earlier as a group, the three or four of them, and they had gotten a goodie. Well, somehow or another, she wasn't with that group. And she got left out. And when she saw them out here walking around the halls uh, with a goodie and she didn't have any, she thought it was my fault. And I mean to tell you, she came in there and she says, Now you have given the rest of them a goodie, and I want to know where mine is, and I want it now. Well, you rest assured the preacher got up and said she got a goodie right then. Because she'd have been another foot taller, I'd probably been whipped right there. But anyway, now you think about it. The things that you and I really get upset about as we try to live together in the house of God and in God's kingdom, it is the things that really upsets us, and nine out of every ten times, is because we have been slighted. And so it's our ego that gets in the way. You know, I have realized a long time ago that the very thing that the Lord Jesus Christ did not get upset and get mad about uh, they are the very things that it's so easy for me to get excited about and get upset about. Jesus never got excited or upset about something that was done to him when he had been offended or his ego had been offended or he had been slighted. Never will you find Jesus getting upset about these situations. Not when it was directed toward him. Oh God, the kingdom of God would come more perfectly within the church uh, when I am able to square my soul along with yours and the rest of us, we come to the place and be able to see what we ought to be upset about and things that we ought not be upset about and get on with the business of trying to live together the way that God intended for us to live. And you see, dear friends, the worst kind of madness and the worst kind of hurt is that kind of hurt that you can justify in and among God's people. It is the very worst kind the Gibbonites could justify them calling for the death of seven innocent people. And you know, sometimes I wonder if we have, I wonder if we have gone too far in the way of growing properly, spiritually, mentally, and emotionally in these last 3,000 years. Or do we come to the place because we have been slighted and because we have been betrayed and that we too call for vengeance? I want a pound for every pound I've given up. I was here just in the last three months the funeral of a man that I've known through the years. And 20 years ago, he dropped out of the church. And his wife said to me as I was holding his funeral, Well, he really hasn't been to church. You know, this is no compliment to me. That he hasn't been back to church since you left. Chinned a few years and then he quit. That's no compliment to me. And I felt that when I was having this man's funeral service and knowing that his wife had said, well, he was hurt by the church and offended, and so the last 20 years he hasn't been in church. What a tragedy. I don't suppose the Gibbonites are dead yet, are they? And we still 
numbered among us. And there's no forgiveness to be had. And no forgiveness sought. Isn't that pitiful? Oh, isn't that pitiful? Wouldn't it have been interesting if the Gibbonites had come to David and had offered forgiveness and could have presented redemption? You see, the only people that can present redemption are the people who have been unjustly hurt. David could not offer redemption. But the Gibbonites could have because they were the ones that had been offended against. And instead of them crying out for vengeance, said that we come to forgive. Gibbonites, what are you doing? Why are you here? Do you want satisfaction? Or do you offer forgiveness in order that all of us might be redeemed? Of course you're going to be hurt by the church. Of course we're going to be hurt and offended as we try to live and work together. Of course we are. But where is our forgiveness? Where is our redemption? And then I asked the sons of Saul. Sons of Saul, why are you here? Well, seven of them. Well, I don't really know. It's not that I've done anything. See me like that I have been sinned against more than I have sinned. And now I'm paying the price for my father and what he did. And the sins that he committed. Well, this is not foreign to us. Those of you who have lived as long as I have and lived through the 60s, you know full well that the sins of our fathers caught up with us in a very great way uh, during that period of time. And what an awesome price we paid for our stupidity and for our sin. Some of the best men that this society has produced were shot down like animals. Men of great love and compassion were destroyed. And those who perpetrated these terrible crimes thought that they were doing society a favor uh, by killing them. Sons of Saul, why are you here? You know, there are churches today. I've lived long enough to have served several churches. And I know that some of those churches that I have served because of their short-sightedness and not being able to do the thing that they had the opportunity to do and to see it and to lay hold of it. And I think of two situations where the vote only lost about less than five people. Uh, that the sons and the daughters and the people who live in that community and shall come on long after us and we're all gone will still pay the price for the church not responding to the opportunity uh, that it had. And so we set up a situation to have a possibility of doing it too. What did we think about Christian education? You know the things that grieves my soul in the last 15 years, somewhere back there, somewhere, someplace, parents got to the place where they did not see Christian education as being anything really important. And so they stopped coming to Sunday school. And their children stopped coming to Sunday school. And still we're in this dilemma. Hopefully uh, we are coming to the place within our society again where our young parents are seeing the great need and necessity of having their children to be taught properly in the ways of God. And so they're returning uh, to the church and to Sunday school. But how do we see Christian education? Well, the God's honest truth about it is uh, we don't see it too important. We don't see it being too important. To know Christ is not an option, dear friends, for you, for me, and for my children, and for my grandchildren. It is not an option. It is a matter of life and death. It is the most difficult thing within the world for us to do right today more than any other time. It is for our society and our people to take the church serious. 
We can't get around to taking the church serious. We think we have options. Yes, we do. We have options like Saul had and like David had and like the Gibbonites had. But someone is going to pay the price for it. You know, Saul forgot himself and forgot the promise and pledge that he had made before God and as king and to these people. And he set up a situation in his stupidity and in his ignorance and in his foolishness and that his sons paid for in a, very, in a very dear way, in a very pathetic way. What are you doing here? You know, I used to, years gone by, go down to the jail here, city jail, and ask those, many of them young people, ask them that very question, what are you doing here, and then listening to their story. And you know, almost without exception, there was some exception to it, of course, but without exception, they were there because somewhere, someplace, somehow, we as grandparents and we as parents and the church had failed to minister to them in such a way that they would offer the Lord Jesus Christ instead of a pagan way of trying to live. Then I would ask the question to the mother, Rizpah, what are you doing here, Rizpah? Well, she could tell me without any hesitation, these are my sons that are here and I am completely defenseless in this situation. I have not power to defend them. And so they are here because I have been overpowered. And I think about such sorrow, such sadness. And I think about the situation where it said that she came and stayed for six months to keep the vultures off on the birds of the air. Uh, those creatures of the air that are able to see the sick and the dying way before anyone else can and be there to make their meal first. And then I think about that in relation to our society and try to understand something of what takes place within our own society and how are those things out there that are looking and waiting for our young people and for our older ones to sidestep in order that they might be able to make a meal off of them. And then I think about the, what she was talking about, the jackals by night. She was there to protect them by day and by night. And she was no match for the day, much less the night. And Rizpah's demonstration of love is so misplaced. Oh, you can't default her for loving them and for doing this thing six months. I can't help but wonder, did she give a devoted demonstration of her love, care, and concern for these seven sons before they got here six months before? Or did it happen after the trouble came? I was with a man some time ago. Well, it's been about six years ago, to be more precise. And I was with this man six years ago when we were in a church that we had an opportunity just exactly like Watkins has here right now. Only thing with that church, the time was running out and we had to do something, do it quickly. Watkins still has time. And we were trying to do something in and through that church for the sake of the community and for the sake of the great number of young people that lived in that community, for the mothers and fathers and grandparents that lived in that community, and for the best that they had, our children. And at the same time that was going on within the church, this father, I was with him when he was before the judge and cleared his son and gave him back to his father. And I asked uh, his father, I didn't ask, the father told me on the way back home, he said, this situation with my son has cost me $16,000.
He said, it's partly my fault. He said, I sent my son and my daughter to Sunday school. I didn't go with them. And I sent them to church. I very seldom ever went with them. I belong to the church. Uh, but I don't go, as you well know. He said, it's cost me $16,000. And you know, the thing that we were trying to do in the church would have cost the families within that church a fraction of that. To have done something fantastic, wonderful, and beautiful for that church then and would have lived on long after we are gone, but it failed. The people in the church voted down, didn't want to pay the price. Couldn't see it. I went around before we brought it to a vote and got 15 or 20 of the people together, families together in a home, went through the city, went around our membership, and each night I would talk to them about the program of the church and what it was trying to do. And I was amazed. I was absolutely flabbergasted. The ones that I were directing the program to, the young parents within that community that had children up to 15 and younger, and they could not see it. They could not see what we were talking about and what I was talking about and what the church was trying to do. But the interesting thing was the grandparents could. The grandparents could. But there's not enough grandparents in the church to carry it. It had to come from the young people. Now this is a very interesting situation. How do you explain this situation? Now there's a man used to belong to this church, his family used to belong to this church, was in the early service this morning. He heard me say exactly what I'm saying here right now. And this man, I am sure, is able to see something of the greatness of the opportunity that we have today here within this community to do something in a fantastic way for all of us and to carry on even long after we are gone. And he stopped and gave me this check for $5,000. Now remember this church with a request. He says, I want to see lights put on that ball field back there. Now I know that that may leave some of you cold, but I want to tell you something. I have listened to me. I am old enough to be a grandfather. And the only way I'm going to have a grandkid is rent one. So if you have one to rent, I'll take it. Okay. Now listen. Folk, what we do out there, if we do it in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, is just as sacred and as meaningful as what we do in here on our knees. And the only way that we are going to be able to capture this community and those who come into this community, the young people, as far as to develop all that we have here in this community. And God, through you and his goodness, has given to us ten acres of ground to develop and use as stewards in his kingdom for him and for his people. And we'll turn this check over to the Recreation the Leisure Time Committee and communicate to them exactly what this man said to me. We have an opportunity together here to do something. Rizpah, what are you doing here? I'm grieving because of the loss of my children. Now, folks, I want to tell you another thing. The greatest grief that I have ever had as a preacher is have to sit down and tell a mother and father to forget your daughter or forget your son. They're involved in something that has blown their mind and they're never going to be any better than they are today. It is too late. It's gone. It's finished. It's done. How do you tell a mother and father that? How do you tell Rizbav that they have already taken your son and daughter and for all practical purposes they are dead? 
and you're caught in this vicious cycle and you haven't enough power to redeem them it's gone it's gone now what if what if now you got to remember that this was the family of God you see that all this happened in like us different separate and yet apart and yet a family of God what if the Gibbonites had come and the sons of Saul and Rizpah and sit down together like you and I have the opportunity to today and say yes it's not silver and gold that we're after and we're not after the life of someone in Israel and we're not after the life of the soul the death of the sons of Saul we're all part of the kingdom of God every one of us and it is true that we may have been offensive one to the other but we are of the household of God and we are brothers and sisters and we're the sons and daughters of God and whatever has been is but we are here to commit ourselves and to dedicate ourselves to care and concern for one another and we're going to commit ourselves to one another and to the Lord Jesus Christ and to the kingdom of God in such a way that we are going to work for the greatness and the glory of all of us and where there is hate uh, we will love and where there is indifference we will be concerned and we will revive these hearts and souls of ours until at last we come again to the place where we can commit ourselves to God and to one another to see that all the sons and daughters all the mothers all the parents all the grandparents and all the children will be able to have and accept their rightful place in the kingdom of God simply because we are willing to pay the price. Oh God, may it be so with our heart and our soul and our demonstration of it, for we ask it in the name of Christ. Amen. Thanks for listening. Hope you were blessed. We pray the Holy Spirit will make you a doer of his words, finishing the work he started in making you more like Christ for the transformation of this world and preparation for heaven. 